This is a recording from a sermon from Light Church in San Diego, California. For more information, please visit lightsandiego.com. you and go in your mind right now to travel with me to the wilderness. We're going to travel to the wilderness and it'll be there that we'll come across a woman named Hagar. And what scripture communicates about this lady, Hagar, it says this in, in uh, Genesis chapter 16. It says that Hagar sat beside a spring in the wilderness, along the path to Shur. Shur was a, as a location, it was a town, spelled S-H-U-R. And there's just, for me, I want to zoom really, really in to that sentence, and we'll continue to expand out as our evening together goes along. Everything about that sentence communicates in doubt that is looking for refreshment amidst the harshness of life. Everything about that sentence communicates about a lady that's sitting there looking for refuge as the pressures and the turmoil and the challenges of life are just causing so much disruption and I would even go as far as to say hopelessness within when you think about that sentence, is that she's sitting by a spring in the middle of a desert. That, that, that the environment that she finds herself in, the, 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 the temperature of life, that the, the things around her are dry. They're without hope. There isn't life that's beating around her, but then she's, she's hoping and she's longing to find refreshment. She's hoping and longing to find just a breather. And I don't know if you've ever been there in your life before, but just trying to find a pause, to call the time out, to stop and to sit and to say, can I just get a breather for a moment? Can I just hope? Can I just find hope in this moment? Can I just find some, some refreshment? Can I just find some water for this desert that I'm navigating? When we expand a little bit further and talk about this wilderness that she's in, everything about that statement would go to communicate to us that if you, especially with our cultural and historical lenses on, we're stopping to evaluate that there is a lady by herself in the middle of the desert. She must be running away from something harsh. Because you do not go down that path unless what you are leaving or unless what is behind you is way more difficult than what you're hoping you might find in front of you. Right? So this, this idea of, of her sitting beside a spring in the middle of a wilderness is you do not position yourself in this place of vulnerability and isolation unless you're longing for something to change in your life. And when we expand a little bit further and we find that she is, this path is pointing to this direction called this town called Shur. Sure, as we 
through to navigate and look, look through uh, maps and, and, and commentaries. It is a town that is on the northeast border of a place called Egypt. So let me tell you a little bit about Hagar. Hagar was living in the house of Abraham. You might have heard that name before. Abraham, uh, we know as the father of faith. We know it was a man that, that is, is described, just trusted God, and, and God just, just saw that and was pleased with his heart. But we also saw that Abraham was a man that, that made uh, some bad decisions in life. And it's actually this beautiful story of, of God not saying you should live like, like all the ways that Abraham lived, but you should have the trust that Abraham has uh, amidst all these decisions that he made, amidst even making just boneheaded choices, but, but his heart still belongs to the Lord. And we find, we find assurance in that, we find comfort in that, because a lot of times we act like Abraham. But what we find is this, is that there's a time, there's a few chapters before, there's this point where a famine hits the land that Abraham is living in. And so Abraham and his wife Sarah go down to Egypt, hoping to find uh, refreshment themselves. As they're going down, Abraham has this dialogue with his bride in which he says, look, Sarah, you are gorgeous. You are beautiful. And what's going to happen is, is that the culture that we're going to go into is that they're going to find you attractive and that they discover that you are my bride, then what they're going to want to do is kill me and take you for themselves. And so this is, this is the plan. And Abraham tells Sarah, let's just say that you're my sister. And in that scenario, what they'll likely do, rather than kill me, is that they will probably like, lavish gifts upon me, even though I'll lose. And Sarah goes along with that plan. And we actually find in the midst of the story that Pharaoh, the princes of Pharaoh, notice Sarah, and they go to take Sarah and, and give her to Pharaoh, and when they do that, these gifts are given to Abraham, right? These gifts are given to Abraham, their they're, they're livestock, their treasures, their servants that are given to him, and then the night that, that Pharaoh goes to take Sarah for his own, the Lord intervenes. He stops. It's happening. He tells them, no, 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 no. This Sarah belongs to Abraham, and I'm doing something special in their midst. I'm, I'm working in their lives. And, and so, so Pharaoh responds in a way that just, he's, he's angry, but he's also fearful of the Lord, and he just recognizes that God's chosen this man for whatever reason. And, and, and so he sends Abraham away. When we look at that story, part of what, what scholars believe, and part of what when we look at the scripture, uh, the common belief is, is that Hagar was one of the servants that was given to Abraham. She was pulled away from, from Egypt. But she was a slave. And she goes from harsh master to harsh master. See, the, the, the story of her life is, is that she was yanked out of the slavery in Egypt that she's placed in the house of Abraham. And we actually discover that it's in that house that all this turmoil begins to happen. All this, all this, this angst, all this conflict, all, all just the, the craziness and, and, and just 
the pressures of life are hitting her so hard. And so the fact that we find ourselves in this simple sentence that says she's sitting beside a spring in the wilderness along the road to Shur, back to Egypt. She's going back. And it's likely that the, the prospects of a better life in Egypt probably aren't that great. Probably, it isn't, it isn't filled with hope. It isn't filled with this anticipation that everything's going to be way better if she can just make it back to Egypt because what was probably waiting for her in Egypt was slavery still. It was harshness still. She is a woman that is isolated. She is a woman that is alone. She is a woman that is in trouble. She is essentially going from that proverbial frying pan into the fire. And she's just trying to find rest. She's just trying to find calm. She's just trying to find a drink in the middle of her desert. The prospects of life, the trajectory of life, it just looks bleak for her. Then we zoom out a little bit more on that sentence. This is what it says, Genesis chapter 16, verse 7. The angel of the Lord found Hagar beside a spring of water in the wilderness along the road to Shur. The angel said to her, Hagar, Sarah's servant, where are you coming from and where are you going? And it's this beautiful statement where it just, it really just says this in scripture. The Lord found Hagar. And friends, tonight, I want to tell you that it is always the case that God finds humanity. In their deepest isolation, in their deepest the deepest hopelessness that finds you And I, I can tell you this. It is extremely difficult to wander away from a God whose specialty is finding people in the wilderness. It's what he does. God finds humanity in the wilderness. And if you look over the pages of Scripture, it is something that you will constantly see. It is something that you will always see. You think about the story of Moses, and God speaks to him in the middle of a desert and calls him. That for 40 years, as Israel navigated the desert, God was with them, leading them, sending a pillar of fire and a pillar of cloud and a pillar of fire to lead them, to guide them, to show them that he was with them. You cannot desert a God whose specialty is finding people in the desert. It's what he does. He finds us there. And you even see that Jesus himself, that he's in the wilderness, that he's in the desert for 40 days and he's fasting. And the Bible tells us that in the desert that Jesus is strengthened there. God finds people in the desert. God finds people in their wanderings. That as, as humanity is stuck in these places of isolation and broken, 
brokenness and hopelessness, that God is, his specialty is meeting people just right there. His specialty is people finding people specifically in those moments. I want to read to you all Genesis chapter 16. It says this. There, by the way, you're going to hear them described as Sarai and Abram. It's a few chapters later that their names are changed to Sarah and Abraham. Uh, I'll be probably actually here we bouncing between both of those because we're just so used to saying Abraham. But Genesis chapter 16, starting at verse 1, it says this. It says, Now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children. She had a female Egyptian servant whose name was Hagar. And Sarai said to Abram, Behold, now the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Go into my servant, and it may be that I shall obtain, obtain children by her. And Abram listened to the voice of Sarai. So after Abram had lived ten years in the land of Canaan, Sarai, Abram's wife, took Hagar, the Egyptian, her servant, and gave her to Abram, her husband, as a wife. And he went into Hagar, and she conceived. And when she saw that she had conceived, when Sarai saw that Hagar conceived, she looked with contempt. Oh, the other way around. When Hagar saw, anyways, uh, Hagar looked with contempt on her mistress. And Sarai said to Abram, May the wrong done, done to me be on you. I gave my servant to your embrace. And when she saw that she conceived, she looked on me with contempt. May the Lord judge between you and me. But Abram said to Sarah, Behold, your servant is in your power. Do to her as you please. And Sarah dealt harshly with her, and Hagar fled from her. The angel of the Lord found her by a spring of water in the wilderness, the spring on the way to Shur. And he said to Hagar, servant of Sarah, Where have you come from, and where are you going? She said, I am fleeing from my mistress Sarai. The angel of the Lord said to her, Return to your mistress and submit to her. The angel of the Lord also said to her, I will surely multiply your offspring so that they cannot be numbered for multitude. And the angel of the Lord said to her, Behold, you are pregnant and shall bear a son. You shall call his name Ishmael because the Lord listened to your affliction. He shall be a wild donkey of a man his hand against everyone, and everyone's hand against him, and he shall dwell over against all his kinsmen. So she called the name of the Lord who spoke to her, You are a God of seeing. In another translation, it says, You are the God who sees me. She said, Surely I have seen him who sees me. Therefore the well is called Yer Lahai. Rahim, the life between Kadesh and Gurah. In the story, it's, if you ever explored human brokenness, you see that, that our brokenness is, is both a, a byproduct of, of how we've been mistreated, but it's also how we have allowed for offense and bitterness to create fissures within us. And the story of, of Hagar isn't the story of perfect humanity, obviously. It isn't a story of a perfect woman who has just been mistreated, but it is, it is this complex story where Hagar 
is, is treated harshly by Sarah, but she is also responding with contempt. She is responding with her own bitterness and brokenness in this moment. It is, it is this, this exploration that Hagar is both broken by people and she is breaking others. It is this, this exploration of, of her in, in being mistreated, but her also mistreating those around her. And it's incredible that in this story that, that, that the angel of the Lord finds her and he explores that with her. He asks her, Hagar, where are you coming from and where are you going This is not a geography question. He, he's, he's not asking what zip code are you leaving or what zip code are you trying to get to. The Lord in his wisdom and his pastoral care is pointing out to Hagar you're living life in a circle. You're wandering. You're walking in the surface, hang on. What are you trying to get away from? What are you trying to get? Where are you coming from? What are you navigating, hang on? What is it? What is it? Let's talk. Let's talk about what you're facing. Let's talk about what you're trying to flee from. Let's talk about what you're trying to run away from. Let's talk about why you want to take a nap in the middle of the day all the time because you can't handle this. What is it that you are coming from? Where are you trying to get to? What are you hoping for? What do you want to see happen? Where is it that you really want to get to? What, is, what are the aspirations that you have in your heart right now? I don't know you, but I, I have this, this mentor in my life, and it just feels like the way that they ask, he asks questions, you just feel completely exposed. Like, they're that person that you, if you're in the wrong in life, you, you just avoid them, right? You have those people in your life, and you're just like, you know what? I know I'm making a bad decision in my life, so I'm just going to completely avoid that person. But they, he asks all the time, we all ask this, right? Like, hey, how's it going? Right? We all ask, ask each other. You probably asked that to a few people tonight already. How's it going? How are you doing? But the way that he asks it is more like this. Yes. How are you doing? <laughs> and you're taking back, right? And it's that place of, um, how do you know? <laughs> how, how do you know what I'm facing? How do you know what I'm having? How do you know what I'm processing right now, right? You've had those people in your lives where it just feels like they see all of you and they just come up and say, How's it going? How's it going? That's what the words do for Hey, Hey, where are you coming from? The beauty of this is that you can place your name in there. And you can hear the voice of the Lord speaking to you. Where are you coming from? Where are you going? What are you facing? What do you want to see happen? 
What do you hope? What's the challenge? What keeps you up? Where are you coming from? And where are you going? The Lord in his care for us. The Lord in his pursuit of us. And he'll always visit us, right? In the Lord right now. To show us that he's with us. To show us that he's there. To show us that he is not ignorant to what's happening in our lives. Maybe it's the story of him being mistreated. Maybe it's the story of being filled with contempt and bitterness and jealousy and rage and brokenness. Maybe whatever the story is, whatever it is in the face, maybe it's the story of the way that we have been mistreated or the story of us mistreating others, but the Lord finds us and cares for us and does a healing work within us. And out of this, what's incredible is that really when you look at it, Hagar is a peripheral character in the story of Scripture. She's, she's a side character. She, like, all of, like Genesis 12 through like 20 or so, right, 22, 23, 24, it's the story of Abraham, it's the story of God establishing the nation of Israel. It's, it's God working in the life of Abraham. It's God doing just incredible things amidst Abraham's highs and his lows, of his, of his victories and his mistakes. And in the middle of all of, all of that, and he's the central character, a peripheral character in the story, is the first person to ever call God U-R-L Rai. You are the God who sees me. God has never been called this name before in Scripture. And a peripheral character in the story is declaring, God, you see me. Why? God does not have peripheral vision. He can't. If he is a God that is everywhere, he does not have a side view. He sees it all. This is all of us. And it's this challenge, too, that's given to the nation of Israel where he's telling them, I see the servant in your home. I see the insignificant around you. I see the side character. I see the people around you. And it's to communicate to all of the nations around Israel, I see you. I see you. You are the center of my attention. He doesn't have peripheral vision. And for those of us that so often feel like we're on the fringes or on the outside or that God is paying more attention to somebody else, if we feel like a side character in the story, that we would see Hagar tonight and we would see he is the God who sees me. He sees me. He knows my coming and my going. He knows what I'm walking through and he sees where I'm trying to get to. He is the God who sees me. He's the God that notices me. He's the God that takes attention and he, he just, he, he's aware. And he also de just declares to her, and the angel of the Lord says to Hagar, you're going to name him Ishmael because I have heard your affliction. Everything about this story is, is how Hagar has God's full attention. 
And when she's in her bleakest moment, and when she's in a point, a point of isolation, completely alone in the desert and looking for a refreshment, the angel of the Lord finds her and says, I see you. I am here with you. I am fully attentive to you. There was a time about nine to ten years ago, we were living, my wife and I were living in Olympia, Washington. We were working for this nonprofit for activist high school students. They were kids that were in and out of foster care. Uh, they were kids that were living on the street. And uh, it, was, it was heavy work. It was, it was incredible to be a part of that work. Uh, kids that would drop in every afternoon and we'd hang out with them and then we'd shoot pool with them and, and we'd hear them talk just trash on the church because they, they, a lot of them had been hurt by the church and rejected by society and, and then they were struggling with just everything and, and we just, yeah, it was just so great to be around them and some love upon them. But one of the things that we ran into is that during that time the economy hit a huge dip, a recession, right? And we were working part-time at this nonprofit, and we got moved from part-time to volunteer because we, the organization couldn't afford. Everyone got laid off. We were all trying, and we were all looking for jobs, and and then we were getting rejection letters every single day. Like we showed up to Target, we showed up. To, I went to the Bible book club at our bookstore, and I was like, "Hey, I you know help sell Bible, and I'll do whatever." And I just was like, "We just want to try to exist." Here and then we'll, we'll continue to volunteer, we'll continue to give up our time, right? And a lot of you probably in this room can relate. It is really difficult to pay bills off of volunteer, <laughs> right? A volunteer salary is not very much zero. <laughs> and, and, and one day, I'm, I'm, I'm literally head up against the wall, slumped. In tears, just crying out. Where are you? Where are you? I was just crying, saying, "Do you see us? Do you see what we're facing? Do you see what we're navigating? Do you see what we're walking through?" And there was no resolution to that prayer. I wish I would say, like, I walked away from the prayer just because God showed up and spoke to me in that moment. There, there wasn't. It, 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 just, it was just quiet. And then maybe just to get out of the space and put myself in a different place and try to just, just navigate it all and try to get somewhere else. Just, we were living in an apartment complex and, and the mailboxes were on the other side of the, the apartment complex. And I was just like, you know, I'm just going to go check the mail. Maybe there will be a mail there. But it works. I don't know. Right? And, and I, so I walked out of the apartment and I, and I walked over to, to the mailboxes. And I opened it up. And there was this package. Express mail. Next day mail. Next day mail. It was addressed to us. And, and in the center address, it said, from the Lord. Not, not exactly. It literally said, from the Lord. Long Beach, California. <laughs> if you've been looking for Jesus, he's in Long Beach. Go there now. Um, and 
when you're just looking at it, you're like, what is this? What's going on? And I open it up, and, and it's an anonymous like traveler's check. Money order. And on there, it says, from the Lord. It says, from the Lord, on it. And it was just this odd amount. It was like $437. And that amount perfectly sustained us for the weeks that we were doing. I, I don't, I don't, that was the first time this happened, that's the only time that it's ever happened. And it's just this statement, just this powerful moment. The Lord shows up. He provides. Sometimes it's just, just barely enough. Sometimes it's just, just, just exactly what you need in that moment. And this interaction that the Lord has with Hagar, he, he does this. He speaks about the light that's in the world. He speaks about the new heartbeat that's within him. He speaks to her and draws her attention to the power that is kicking within her being. Because have been this series called Hope is Alive, and your key verse has been in, in, in the book of Ephesians. And Paul writes to the church in Ephesus, I pray that your hearts would be flooded with light so that you can understand the confident hope he has given to those he called. His holy people are his rich and glorious inheritance. I also pray that you will understand the incredible greatness of God's power for us who believe him. This is the same mighty power that raised Christ from the dead and seated him in the place of honor at God's right hand in the heavenly realms. And in these places of hopelessness, because the church of Ephesus, they're facing persecution. They're facing a society that is pushing against them. It is hostility. It is wilderness. It is desert that they're living in. And Paul's encouragement to them is that they would see that there is power residing within them. And that same power that raised Christ from the dead is now moving in their being. The story of Hagar and the Lord's interaction with her is that the Lord sends her back to the house of Abraham. He sends her back to the harshness of Sarah, but he reminds her there's a new heartbeat kicking within you. There is life that's happening inside of you. There is new power that is within you. And I hear and see the affliction that you're facing. Remember. Remember the life that's within you because it is an assurance. It is a promise. It is a declaration from me that I see you and that I am with you. So Paul writes to the church of Ephesus that's facing persecution and struggle. That your eyes would be open. You would see. You would see. That you'd be aware. That she would be awakened to this new rhythm, this new power that resides within you. That you'd be reminded of the power of Christ that dwells within you. Because the challenge is. He may send you back 
to that place of turmoil and challenge. He may not take you out of that environment. He may, he may call you to go back into that place of difficulty and challenge. Right, the story of the church is the fact that he hasn't taken us out of the earth, but he calls us to reside here amidst the challenge of living here, amidst the pain and the suffering and the brokenness that surrounds us and the world around us. But there's a power that resides in you. And there's a life, there's life that's keeping you in your womb. There's something new that resides within you. And that will sustain you in this place that I have called you to live. It may not take you out of this place, but I'll be with you in I'll reside with you there. I will live with you there. And like Hagar, you know what to say? I have seen the Lord who sees me. And Paul prays for Ephesus that your eyes would be open. May we tonight get a glimpse, get an understanding, that our eyes would be open that God sees us. Would your hearts be open to that? Would you be reminded? Would you see the God who sees you? You're not perfect. Not on the outside. His attention, his gaze, his ears, they are turned toward you. Perhaps uh, the worship team come back up right now as, as, as I pray for you. Father, for those that in their own strength, in their own striving, in their wandering, that have been looking for deserts, I have been looking for springs in the middle of deserts. Lord, I pray that you find them tonight. I pray that you would communicate to people that you see them that you take notice of them, that your heart is and your ears are turned towards us. You are the God who sees me. You are the God who knows me. And, and God, you don't, you don't seek to expose me. You don't come to, to seek to come and say, I see everything about you. I see that decision that you made. I see that boneheaded choice that you made. I, I see that relationship that you got into. I see that other mistake that you made again. That you don't come to say, I see where you're coming from. And I see where you're trying to get to in this condemning way. But you come to assure us that though you see everything about us, though you see our, our, you see our brokenness, you see the way that we've been mistreated, you see the way that we have treated others, and you call us to yourself. How it is that you are a God that knows every intimate de detail about our lives but still pursue us is a mystery that we will never be able to fully comprehend. But we rest in the fact that you are for us. We rest in the fact that you see us. You know us. I think about in Psalm 139 when that the, the Psalter is writing and it says that you know are, are rising. Lord, if we were to go to the to the depths of the earth, like even there you're with us, and they just come to this place of saying, oh my God, how precious, how precious are your thoughts towards me. 
were I to count them, they would outnumber the sands on the shore. And that you would remind your people tonight that in your seeing them, it is, it is with precious thoughts. It is that, that we are always on your mind, that we always have your attention. Thank you for seeing us. But it's not just individually, but Lord, corporately, as the church, as the body of believers, Lord, I just thank you that you see us. Lord, thank you that you see this community called Light Church. That you see them. That, that, that I pray that there be a, a, a new rhythm, new life, new power that would reside in this community. Lord, I pray that this community be, would be filled with that same power that raised Christ from the dead. That you would remind them, that you would tell them that you have planted something specific in them so that they might be the light to the world around them. That, that, that you would continue to stir up a passion for the world around them. That, that we would be like you, that we would be, we would be the church that sees, that we would be the church that takes notice, that we would be the church that would, that our attention would be on the people that are on the fringe or on the peripheral, that are isolated or that are places of hopelessness, that you would instill in this church your power. They would be reminded that you dwell here. You live here. You are our hope. And you are alive and you are active and you are on the move in us. Lord, we, we turn to you, we give our attention to you, we turn our gaze towards you, and Lord, we say we see you tonight. And we are so grateful that you see us and you pursue us. Thank you.